Hi there, welcome to episode 50 of the LDS study session with me, Matt Roberts. 50 episodes, 50 days, which I have finally been able to uh, each day study consistently uh, and kind of share those thoughts with someone, uh, if anyone is indeed listening. I'm grateful uh, to have been doing this and uh, I'm looking forward to sharing what I've actually got to share with you today because I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's part of the Come Follow Me section for this week in July 15th to July the 21st, found in Acts chapter 10 verse, uh, chapters 10 to 15, the word of God grew and multiplied. And here, as mentioned, we see the apostles delivering forth or, you know, moving forward the work of salvation in this new and fledgling church. And uh, we're looking at Heavenly Father teaches me line upon line through Revelation, found in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 11, 1 to 18, and Acts chapter 15. And this really was an eye-opening section for me personally. So I'll begin um, with this. So it's talking about how these experiences, and this kind of stems from what we were talking about in the last Come Follow Me section in episode 48, uh, with Paul, Peter and uh, Cornelius the Gentile, the, the Roman centurion. And um, it really does kind of open up a number of things in terms of, things ways we can see revelation and how we can receive revelation now obviously it begins uh, in acts chapter 10 verses 30 to 33 i'm i'm starting at now we know that peter in acts sorry in acts, we'll start with acts chapter 10 verse 17 actually uh, it says there uh, after he receives the revelation uh, with the great sheet with the uh, unclean animals in it uh, now while peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. So, uh, obviously, here, um, Peter is questioning what on earth this vision is talking about. What is it that he is meant to gain from this um, this revelation, this vision that's re that he's received? And sometimes that's how we receive revelation, with a bit of confusion. We get a prompting or a feeling about something and we're just not sure about it. That's one way we can receive that. But then as we go through the experience, through chapter 10 and then the start of 11 and then 15, we see this this revelation begin to take shape uh, and develop into what then, uh, well, I won't spoil the ending, but it basically becomes an official communication for the church. Uh, so in verses 30 to 33, uh, we have Cornelius uh, stating um, what he's gone through in the past few days after Peter welcomes him and says, I had this vision, I wasn't sure, you know, this is what I've seen, um, and then you've come. Then Cornelius speaks to him, and it's as if he's receiving that revelation, or he's receiving a, a revelation or an answer through another person. And of course, we know that we can receive answers through ministry, people ministering to us, or through people saying something to us, or doing something for us. So the Lord works through people as his hands, uh, which we know is obviously one way we can receive that revelation. And really, um, Cornelius was also given guidance, revelation, uh, not again from specifically from Heavenly Father, but Heavenly Father led him to the, to the place where he could receive that answer that he was looking for. Uh, awesome Pratt uh, said this about this experience, quote, What? Cornelius not in a state of salvation, and he a praying man, no doubt he was in a state of salvation so far as he understood, but he was ignorant and did not understand how to get into the celestial kingdom. He knew nothing about the birth of the water and of the spirit that we heard about this forenoon. 
for without which no man can enter into the kingdom of God. Yet he hath given much alms, and his prayers had come up as a memorial before God, and the Lord had pity on his ignorance and sent an angel to him. But the angel did not see... Uh, did not see it proper to tell him what to do to get a more full state of conversion. He simply told him to send for Peter, a man of God, promising him that he would tell him how to be saved. Close quote. Again, we often receive answers to prayers in a way that it directs us to where we need to go to then listen and learn, rather than just being given the answer. Great teachers do this all the time. The Saviour did this. Um, when I go to kind of like professional development courses and when I learn more about being a better teacher, often it's we are taught we are told about how we have to help children get to the answers, not just give them the answers necessarily all the time, because otherwise then they don't develop those um, investigation or um, you know those skills of inquiry which are so important in a really uh, avid learner. Then we go forward to Acts chapter eleven, verses five to seventeen. I'm going to focus on, and here we have a fascinating recount from Peter. Um, because we see elements of things that he's learned previously through Revelation coming together. So he recounts to them the vision that he's had, uh, and this is, <clears throat> and this is uh, to, to a number of um, people, uh, of the apostles and brethren that were in Judea. Uh, and so it, we, we see that in verse 1 of chapter 11. He recounts this experience uh, and teaches them, uh, his fellow brethren, he talks about promptings uh, that he received uh, in terms of following um, with the people that then came to him with nothing doubting. And then he talks about recollections of past teachings that he remembers that relates to this, specifically how the Lord, um, how the Lord said John would baptize with water, but then he would baptize with the Holy Ghost. And Peter's having this brought back to his memory, which of course we know is one of the... Um, talents, well not talents, but one of the roles of the Holy Ghost is to bring up things to our remembrance. Uh, and so we see that here he is receiving more revelation. He's being re reminded and prompted of things that he's been taught with in the past that now apply to this, receiving line upon line to the point that he receive, he's receiving a greater understanding of what should happen now in terms of teaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, it's really a fascinating process that we see here that we can see the lines within this uh, verses 5 to 17 where Peter is developing this understanding because of each line of revelation that's been given over the number of years um, to the points where we get to Acts 15. So this kind of jumps ahead in the uh, the time timeline. But now, since the gospel has gone out uh, to, the, to the, uh, the Gentiles, Paul and Barnabas, as we learn later in Acts 11, being two of these particular people that go to the Gentiles, um, he, he then, they then come back and they talk about this issue that's come up about circumcision. Now, we know that circumcision is obviously a, a tradition of, of, the, of Judaism. It's, it's a uh, practice that, that was believed uh, to be important and to show that they were a covenant people. Uh, and so in Acts 15, verses 1 to 6, of course, these Gentiles that have started to come into the church are obviously not circumcised. Uh, and many of the brethren in Judea have said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's verse one. So there is a problem here because obviously with the vast amount of converts that are coming into the church, something has to be decided on this. So Paul and Barnabas come back with this question. Uh, it says in verse two, um, they should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question, and they bring it to this council of the elders. 
And this is really interesting. It's evidence that councils are an important part of the revelation process. Obviously not particularly for our personal line of revelation. We've been talking about that before, but this is now looking at revelation in the church and the implications that this has for how you perceive revelation today. Because councils from this experience here are clearly an important part of this process. Um, the question comes up before the council. They, um, then they dispute it, which, you know, it doesn't, you know, dis the, the word disputation, you could, you could argue, is it actual arguing or is it just putting four different points and examining them? Uh, you know, for example, at school, I've been, I've kind of worked with the senior leadership team, team on a number of issues, and we don't argue, like, I, you know, I consider them, many of them are good friends, uh, but there are times that I've disagreed on certain things in terms of the role that I have, and I've put forward my points, and they've put forward their point, we've discussed it, and I would say that that would perhaps may be a disputation, not an argument, uh, or what's the, or the word, contention, uh, but it's a disputation. So Peter rises, testifies of what he's experienced, what he thinks, and then James rises and says what he thinks. And then there, and after that, after some more discussion, and we don't know how, how long this discussion went, um, it then uh, is decided on. In verse 22, then it pleased it, the apostles and the elders with the whole church, to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, Cernid, Barsippus, and Silas, chief men upon the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, the apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are in the, of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Forasmuch as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandments. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved brethren, Barnabas and Paul. And then they go on to explain how they've sent these brethren who are risking you know, their lives and how they are going forward and teaching Christ for, because of the testimony they have, and they, they kind of set forward that, that policy or practice on circumcision, that it's not something which is required now, uh, now the Mosaic law has been fulfilled in Christ. Um, now, you can, you can view this letter that's sent out by the apostles as an official communication of the church, which is something that obviously in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints we receive today. But these official communications and decisions that are made will always be made and have always been made and forever will be made through councils, through a council setting. And, that, and this is a really important part of uh, understanding and um, understanding the context where Revelation comes from in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's done through councils. Elder D. Todd Christopherson in the, in the April 2012 General Conference gave a great talk called The Doctrine of Christ. And he talks about this principle of receiving revelation in councils and refers to this specific experience. And I want to share that with you because it really is something which I hadn't really noticed him say before, but is an, is an interesting point. Uh, so he says this, quote, Later in the book of Acts, we find somewhere some, another somewhat related illustration, this time showing how revelation on matters of doctrine may come in a council setting. A controversy arose about whether circumcision required under the law of Moses should carry over as a commandment in the gospel of the church of, and church of Christ. Uh, he then quotes a scripture and continues, Our record of this council is certainly incomplete, but we are told that after much just disputing, Peter, the senior apostle, rose up and declared what the Holy Spirit had confirmed to him. 
he reminded the council that when the gospel began to be preached to the uncircumcised Gentiles in the house of Cornelius, they received the Holy Ghost just as the circumcised Jewish converts. God, he said, put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And then he continues on after a couple more quotes from the scriptures. After Paul, Barnabas, and perhaps others spoke in support of Peter's declaration, James moved that the decision be implemented by letter to the church, and the council was united with one accord. In the letter, announcing their decision, the apostles said, it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. Or in other words, this decision came by the divine revelation through the Holy Spirit. These same patterns are followed today in the restored church of Jesus Christ. The president of the church may announce or interpret doctrines based on revelation to him. Doctrinal exposition may also come through the combined council of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Council deliberations will often include a weighing of canonized scripture, the teachings of church leaders, and past practice. But in the end, just as in the New Testament church, the objective is not simply, to, is not simply consensus among council members, but revelation from God. It is a process involving both reason and faith for obtaining the mind and will of the Lord. At the same time, it should be remembered that not every statement made by a church leader, past or present, necessarily constitutes doctrine. It is commonly understood in the church that a statement made by one leader on a single occasion often represents a personal, though well-considered opinion, not meant to be official or binding for the whole church. The prophet Joseph Smith taught that a prophet is a prophet only when he is acting as such. Close quote. Now this obviously puts forward a number of possible, uh, con um, what's the word, interpretations or, or, or thoughts about what is being said here. Basically, Elder, Elder Christopherson is stating that revelation can come through the church in a number of ways, through the presence of the church, through a combined council presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve, uh, or through you know other councils in the church. Now, these councils, whilst they may come to, to, toward a decision together by disputing and discussing and sharing reason and, and logic, that faith, if councils are run properly and led correctly in the, in, the, in the mind and will of the Lord, will involve revelation and search, searching for the Holy Ghost to prompt or testify that the decisions made are correct. And then he makes the point that quotes or or statements made by church leaders, past and present, should not be necessarily constituted as doctrine, uh, which is, I think, a very interesting point, because I think that something that, particularly the critics of the church, especially when they look back at certain quotes or talks from certain general authorities or certain past presidents of the church, use individual cherry-picked quotes without context, uh, to say, well, look at this person. They must clearly can't be a, can't have been a prophet. They said this, um, and actually, we need to remember that you know something that is said by one leader on a single occasion may well actually not be considered as doctrine, but what is their personal opinion, even though they have well considered it and thought it through. Um, and I just think that is something that's important to take forward, particularly when when studying uh, the, the the history of the church, that we need to remember to listen to the promptings of the Holy Ghost, remember the doctrine of Christ, and remember that it's his teachings uh, that lead the way forward. Uh, I'm grateful to be able to study this, and this has kind of turned into a bit of a longer episode than I anticipated. I hope that um, you have learned something from this, and if there's anything that you want to share uh, about this, then please do so, at Matt S. Roberts 90 or I'd love to hear anything else that you're studying. Until we meet again.